Hello and welcome to the Dream Nation podcast. I'm your host, Yulia, and I'm super excited to tell you that Dream Nation podcast and my creative agency are moving into an actual physical space in New York City in the next few months. And uh, if you're a brand focused on women, diversity, social impact, send a shout. We'd love to work with you. I also focus on healthcare and wellness as well. And today on the show, I have a really amazing guest by the name of Esther Wojcicki. She's an American journalist, educator, and she also founded the Media Arts program at the Palo Alto High School. She has a second book coming out called How to Raise Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results, and her first book is called Moonshots in Education. It's a wonderful book that I love and you don't have to be a teacher to read it. Jack Ma loves the book so much that he is using it in his education programs. Esther is also the mother of three amazing daughters. The first is Susan, who is the CEO of YouTube. The second is Janet, who is a Fulbright winning anthropologist and assistant professor of pediatrics and research, and Anne, who's the co-founder of 23andMe. So Esther knows a thing or two about raising successful people. This episode is super inspiring, and I hope you enjoy it just as much as I did. How are you? I'm fine. I'm very, very busy. Yes, I, I definitely understand. So I will make it very, very brief. Um, I saw that you were probably the school yesterday to like 945 last night. I was there till yeah, 1030, actually. Oh my I, gosh. I, by the time I could get them to leave, they never want to go home. That's amazing. I, I have to beg them or bribe them. How did you get them to go home yesterday? Um, food. <laughs> you have to put them into a pizza coma? Yeah, just about. You know, I have to give them an I was like, tomorrow I'm going to bring you all this stuff. You leave now, please. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I love your work so much. And I wish I could do like a whole three hour podcast with you. So I try to ask about five questions that I condense into half an hour. But of course, I've got 3000 questions I want to ask you. The first being is, what was your dream as a kid? Well, I, I was really poor. So my dream growing up as a kid was basically to uh, live in a house, you know, with no, um, with no problems, to have, you know, food, clothing, a uh, place to hang out, lots of friends. I just wanted to have a really happy life. And um, I didn't really have career aspirations at that point. Um, my career aspirations started when I was 14. So I don't know if that qualifies for being a kid, but um, I decided when I was 14, I wanted to be a journalist. And uh and I took action. I didn't just sit around and dream about it. I actually went to the local uh, newspaper, it was called the Sunland Tahunga Record Ledger, and applied for a job. And uh, they asked me what my experience was, and I said, um, I don't have any. <laughs> they were nice enough to say, well, that sounds good. And uh, so they trained me, and they hired me, um, and I, they paid me three cents a word. And I thought it was great. That's amazing. So that brings you to how you got the grant. And you started the first journalism program at the school. And um, fast forward to Moonshot Thinking. And then fast forward to your new book coming out called Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results. What is your favorite radical result from the book? I think my favorite radical result is trust. And it's what begins this um, acronym that I created for the book, or actually even prior to the book. It's TRICK. And the first letter is T, and it's trust. And um, if you can really get kids to trust you and you trust them, and they trust themselves, it's radical in the classroom. Because they trust and then they respect. 
and uh, they trust each other. They work together as groups, teams. Um, trust is really the key, and I trust them all the time. And most of the classes that they take, they tell me the teacher doesn't trust them. And I think that's bad. I think that the reason they work so hard and the reason they care so much is because they trust themselves and they trust their peers and they trust me. And um, I let them do things that are pretty responsible. Like they go out and get the information. They interview for really, really difficult, controversial stories. And needless to say, I don't go on those interviews with them. They go by themselves. And they take notes and they uh, record it and then they write up the story. I have to trust them to get the information right. Because in the end, the person who is responsible, according to the state law, is the advisor. And so far, they've done a great job. They are amazing. They do a fantastic job of getting the right information, writing it up beautifully, comparing their notes with other another partner who might have gone with them. And some of these stories have had a huge impact on the community. So I would say it's trust. That also reminds me of what you just said a few minutes ago about getting your first internship, right? They trusted you, and that's how you got your start. That's right. They trusted me, and that's how I got my start. I mean, they trusted that I was going to try to live up to what I said I could do. And um, if they wouldn't have, I don't, I don't know what it would. I certainly wouldn't be in journalism. There's something in... Um in your book, Moonshots, that you also mentioned that says that when you trust people, it doesn't mean that you have no expectations. It means you actually have higher expectations. That's right. It's true. When you do have higher expectations, I mean, there is nothing like being in an environment where you're trusted and respected. It, the expectations go up, but then simultaneously, you feel good about yourself when you achieve those expectations and then you want to do even more which is what my students want to do on a regular basis which is part of the reason why they never want to go home because they just they keep wanting to make what they're working on better and they believe in themselves and they work together with their friends and peers that whatever it is they're working on can be better and i don't know if you've had a chance to see the newspaper but they make amazing graphics and they write really comprehensive stories. And just last night, we saw a video that a girl named Kennedy Heron made of what it's like to be on the rowing team at four o'clock in the morning. She recorded it. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That's amazing. Well, it's, it's a really different age right now um, because we have video. So journalism is now so quickly expanding. It's not just print anymore. You're right. You're absolutely right. Well, this video, you could write, I don't know, a thousand words and you would not be able to recreate what she shows in this video. It's just incredible. And I wanted to ask her, of course, I didn't have a chance because of all the stuff that was going on last night. How did she take those amazing pictures and that filming, I mean, just watch it. You'll be kind of, you'll be shocked. It, it looks professional to me. Yeah, it's amazing what's being developed right now. And I know that the Palo Alto High School, you have five magazines, you have a TV station. I believe you have a radio station as well and yes. um, and a magazine. Am I correct? So, yes. Well, so we have a, one newspaper that comes out every two to three weeks. Um, that's three sections, full size. And then we have about seven magazines now. And then in addition, we have television and radio, and we make videos, a video production, and then we have graphic design and uh, website design in our website program. What we're trying to do is give kids an opportunity 
to create in all these platforms, basically for the 21st century. I mean, this is the century of media. Why not let them, you know, be as creative as possible within using all these tools that we have today? You're a Russian and you grew up in Ukraine and your grandparents were rabbis and my grandparents were rabbis in Ukraine too. Our families probably knew each other. And it's just interesting because my family had a similar teaching style and I didn't realize it until I picked up moonshots. And I was Uh like, oh, this makes so much sense because... I was given so much trust. Uh-huh. So that's how I kind of like became introduced to all of your materials. But for my next question, in your last book, Moonshots in Education, you wrote how a child's ability to delay gratification is a good indicator of their future success. And your daughters are very successful. What are some ways you helped encourage grit in your own family? Well, so nothing happens right away, even though people would like it. And more so today, everybody thinks it can happen in 15 seconds or a couple minutes. But in fact, it takes time to do things. And I think one of the ways that you teach persistence and grit is through planning and giving kids an opportunity to plan something and then wait for it. So when they practice waiting for something and practice planning things, I think it makes a huge difference. So for example, one thing that they planned was parts of our vacation. What are we going to be doing on vacation? And now it's really easy to plan that because it's all online and you can get kids to come up with a plan and then you have to wait for your vacation. It doesn't happen right away. And it's the same thing with cooking or baking. You know, you plan, you get the recipe, you make it, You have to sit around and wait till it cools off or heats up, depending on what you're doing. But all those things teach kids to wait. And um, you can have even longer term waiting, depending on what it is that you're doing. And I think that that builds in this grit because, I mean, my daughter Susan was in that original marshmallow experiment uh, that they did at Bing School. And... um, of course, I didn't know what it was when I picked her up that day, other than she said to me when she came out, she's like, I got two marshmallows, as though I was supposed to know exactly what that was all about. But what it turned out to be about was that the kids that waited the longest were the ones that got to eat their marshmallow right away, and the ones that waited even longer got two. And apparently she waited the longest, and so she was really thrilled. And of course, by the time I saw her, she had already eaten them. But <laughs> It's so fascinating. You know, my mom shared this story, and I still remember it because I grew up in Russia, and there was no food in Russia when I was six. There was nothing. Uh We had our own garden. And I remember the story where the teacher in class gave us all chocolates, and all the kids ate them. And I, like, wrapped it in a piece of paper, and I came home, and I shared it with my mom and grandma. And they were like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I'm like, I got a piece of chocolate. (laughs) And they're like, what time did you get it? I'm like, I got it in the morning. And they're like, it's 6 o'clock. I'm like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) that's great you were already doing it yeah but you know what it's that tenacity brought me to where I am today you know I started a bunch of magazines I started a bunch of tech platforms but I couldn't have done it without all the circumstances that led up to it not having food knowing how to control yourself and wanting to share it that's absolutely right not having something and then wanting it and figuring out how to get it and how to get it to other people how to share it. That's right. That is tenacity. And that's grit. And that's what 
a lot of kids here in America today need to practice because they, as a nation, what's happening is that we want to make our kids as happy as possible. So we give them whatever they want as quickly as possible. And that works against developing grit. Which is really big in um, the Eastern culture. Like in the West, we see grit as a weakness. And it's in your Moonshots book as well, where in Asia, it's considered um, something that builds you up. Oh, they're right. It is something that builds you up. Because as I said, when I first started, nothing happens right away, really. You know, Mm -hmm. only if you're a small child does something happen. You know, you cry, and then all of a sudden, your mom gives you some milk or something. But um, normally in life, everything takes time. And you just need to be patient. And it's important to learn that when you're a child. Patience is really the key. Yep. And it's almost another podcast, too, about what social media is doing to us, because everything is so quick and everything is instant gratification. So it's 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 conditioning us to want things quickly and respond quickly and just be on this hyper alert of like, yes, I'm going to make a decision now. Yes, I'm going to spring into action. But that action is not necessarily, um, what is it? Do not mistake movement for action, right? It might not be the right action. We're forced to like respond all the time. That's right. And it might not be the right action. And that's what people are doing. They're making really quick judgments because I think social media does do that. You're like, oh, it's happening right now. If, if I don't do something right away, then it's going to pass. Um, that's not the way to think. And that's not the way to develop grit. And actually, I, in my classes, um, you know, sometimes in the past, people, they don't do it very much anymore because the method of teaching is really dramatically different. But in the past, they would say, oh, you know, this is boring. You know, what you're doing right now is really boring. And I would say to the whole class, uh, how many of you are bored? And, you know, pretty much everybody raised their hand. And I would say, okay, that is really great training for the future because that's what life is, boring. So you just need to practice right now and we're going to finish this in 10 minutes. And I never got any complaints after that. That's wonderful. Life is boring. And, you know, I practice meditation a lot. And I think meditation helps you deal with boring and it helps you find calmness and boring, which is, that's another podcast too. But, uh... but you're right. But, you know, meditation is boring, but then you are, you know, you're not, your senses are being rested at that time. You know, you're just thinking and Life is, in many cases, boring, and people just need to realize that's the way it is, and we are accepting it, and, you know, we move on. Um, You know, you're standing in line, you know, you're doing something you don't really want to do, you're waiting in traffic, um, all those things are boring. And I think if once life is boring, they're very lucky, because we can end up living in, like, Rwanda, where it's just civil strife, and you're just in survival mode, so if you get to achieve boring in your life, then I think you might have made it. I think that's true. That's I think that's true. So my next question is, the jobs of tomorrow will require humans to collaborate together to program work for machines. How can humans and machines even develop empathy skills? Is that something we can code in both humans and machines? Well, I think we can teach that to human beings. I think that's the only thing that human beings have above machines, uh, empathy. And you can teach it by, actually really early, by reading books to kids about how other people feel, by practicing it, 
talking about it yourself, by always considering, you know, other people and decisions that you make. I think it's really important to teach empathy. But machines are basically machines. So the only way that machines can exhibit empathy is if the programmer programs it in some response that sounds like it's empathy. But that means the programmer has to understand empathy himself to be able to program it into the machine. I just think there's nothing that's going to replace another human being. We all are social animals, and we all want to be included, and we want to have discussions with other people. We want to be hugged by other people. You know, I don't want to be hugged by a robot. Um, I don't want to have, you know, my most intimate discussions with a robot. I want to talk to other people. I want to have, you know, friends and family and support groups. And I think that when we lose connection, when there is no more connection, and when you don't have people that you can talk to, that's when depression sets in. Because we all need connection, and we can never expect a machine to provide that. That is beautiful. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I just, I also realized there is a small coding value you can put on empathy because, you know, when you have self-driving cars, you have to kind of like, there's all this discussion about giving AI um, empathy. And it's like, well, if you have a baby in the car and then you have a teenager um, crossing the sidewalk and then there's like a deer, like, what is the equation? What does the self-driving car do, right? But yeah. I think if you program the value to be all then like you just teach the car to just like stop or something, right? Empathy is love for all. Empathy is love for all. And being able to put yourself in another person's shoes and understand where they're coming from. And that is so important for everybody. And especially today where there's so much divisiveness in the United States and actually in, I think, primarily the United States, but also the world. I mean, everybody is has the same goal. They all want to have a better life. They want to make the world a better place. They just see a different path to getting to that goal. And so we all need to work together and empathize, even with people that we disagree with. I think the key is having a discussion, talking about it, understanding where other people are coming from so that we can all work together. I mean, we're facing as a planet the biggest challenge ever. They say we have 12 years to solve the climate change issue. We need to work together everybody to solve this problem. We don't want to have a planet that isn't going to work. And by the way, I don't want to be the first one or the second one or even the hundredth one to go to Mars. I, I kind of like Earth. Yeah, same here. It's kind of great here. <laughs> <laughs> I like everything about Earth, you know, no yeah. matter what it is. Yeah, there's chocolate here. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> there's trees, there's rivers, there's, you know, people, mountains, everything. I like yeah, Earth is great, you know, which actually is kind of a nice segue into my second to last question, which is what opportunities do you see for women in the future? I see pretty much the same opportunities that I see for men. I think that um, we have come to a place, at least in the United States, where there are a lot of opportunities for women, and we've been focusing on it. I think that the only block to those opportunities, if we can call it a block, will be self-directed blocks, which is something like, I'd rather stay home with my child instead of work when I have a small child. Um, and But I do think the opportunities are going to continue to expand. And some people actually prefer just having making a choice of not working when you have a small child. Um, 
and that's fine. You know, that's it's really individual. And what I hope will happen is that there will be daycare facilities available easily for all parents so that if they decide that they want to continue working, that they'll feel comfortable about putting their child in that facility. And that facility will meet their needs and their financial capabilities and so that it will make their lives better. So I think there's going to be a lot more opportunities out there for everybody. I love that idea. I think it would be really smart from a business sense for a lot of businesses to start daycares too. And it just creates happier employees. If you can just stop over for lunch and see your kid and then go back to work, it's just alleviating stress. That's right. It's alleviating stress for the parents, alleviating stress for the child, and making the worker a much more productive worker. So win, win, win. Mm -hmm. That's really smart. Um, So my last question to you is, what is your dream as an adult? My dream for myself or my dream for the world or my... You know what? I think you can have as many dreams as you want. I think a lot of people think that, you know, it's like a genie, like you only want one. But I think dreams are as many dreams as you want. They're colorful and they're unlimited. So... My dream for the nation, maybe even for the world, my dream would be that we figure out a way to finally alleviate poverty so that everybody will have food, water, shelter. Those are the basics. And I know that this time in history is the best time in terms of alleviating poverty. We are much better than we were 10 years ago, and things are headed in the right direction. However, apparently in Africa, uh, where there's a huge boom in population, uh, that isn't that's it's going the other way. So, but I think that we have enough resources, we have enough wealth in the world, so that we can really alleviate poverty for everybody, for every kid, every parent and child, and grandmother, everyone. Um, So that would be my first dream. And then my second dream is that uh, when people consider retirement, which is what they do usually around 60, that they consider partial retirement. That means just cutting back, but not completely retiring, because the world needs everyone. And there's so many things that they can do. They might want to change their career or change where they've lived, but just retiring and going out to lunch and dinner and hanging out on the golf course and doing things like that, I find from the people that I know that have done it that it seems somewhat empty. And I think that that emptiness can be cured by actually participating in the world in some way, helping the schools or helping parents or in some way making the world better. And so... Maybe if they could consider, as I said, a partial retirement where they spend perhaps more time in leisure activities, but then don't stop contributing to society. I think we all need to contribute to society. And while they're doing that, they will also be happier people. I think that's so true. Esther, you're such a genius. And thank you so, so very much for taking the time to speak with me. I love your work. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I'm honored. And I'm very excited that we both come from the same part of the world. Well, thank you. And I'm really thrilled to be part of your program. Thank you, Esther. And please get the word out to Google for them to build some really good recording podcast tools because I don't enjoy using Skype either. I will definitely do that. 
Thank you so much. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. You too. Take care. Thanks for tuning into the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Please share on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dream Nation Love. It's not Dream Nation Podcast, it's Dream Nation Love because I think my single mission in life is to teach people how to love a little bit more and together we can save the world. So it's Dream Nation Love, share it with your friends, have a great day and go out and make the world a better place.